I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. The Greenhouse Show on KSL News Radio. Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse. Maria and Ton with you. Number to call with your questions. Phone lines are open 801 575 8255. You can text us at 57500. Uh, Dwayne in Pleasant Grove wanted to know, Ton, uh, your thoughts on wicking, a wicking system for watering raised garden beds. Well, and raised beds themselves are big enough that I don't think that it would be practical or economical. In a pot, they may be a little more practical. I'm just not sure I know what that even means. Well, what you're doing is putting a reservoir of water under the pot. And so not really under it, but when you get a pot and before you put the soil in, you'll put a some sort of a container in the mm-hmm. bottom of the pot. And there's a few different ways you can do this, but it involves then having a porous or almost like fabric of some sort dipped into the water, into the soil. And as the water evaporates from the soil, then water from that basin then wicks up oh. into the soil and keeps it wet. And so Matt Gench, who were, we had our video on, had developed some different wicking systems that you could just, I think he just, to keep it cheap, used a PVC pipe down into it that you could just fill it up every once in a while and keep them going. And so I the idea is good. I think there's sometimes some design challenges, but I've known a few people that have used them and they have to be refilled, you know, depending on the size every few days to every once a week, but they may be an option for more containers. Okay. Next listener says they have some tams that are way overgrown. They want to trim them way back. Can they do that now while things are dormant? Okay, for our younger listeners that are under the age of 50, tams are a species of juniper. And I'm not trying to be snarky or anything here. Okay. But back in the 60s and 70s. That's all they planted. That's all they planted. Tams and, yeah, tams and fitzers. Mm -hmm. So you would go and build a home and then you'd plant potentilla, maybe some barberry, and then some tams and fitzers. And those, you know, when you see these older homes with these beautifully manicured junipers that have been sheared sometimes into different shapes, they're either fitzers or tams. And so they're just a type of juniper that untrimmed can get up to 10 to 15 feet. They do. So if they're that tall and all the foliage is dead on the inside to the height that they want to prune them to, they may need to take them out. If there is foliage down as low as they want to take them, what they would use is renewal pruning, and they would take the tallest branches, follow them back in toward the middle of the shrub, and where it connects into the shrub, prune it out. And they can prune three or four of those out, and oftentimes that takes the height down by a couple of feet. Mm-hmm. I think the crucial question for this person is, can they do that now while they're dormant? Yeah, they can. It's You can prune on those conifers if you're doing a renewal pruning on the bushes anytime from now until mid-March. Okay, that's good to know. 
Uh, next person says, when should they uh, be treating for boars in their fruit trees? They it depends on the I'm assuming greater peach tree borer. Usually sometime around the first of June this is when you start and you spray the trunk and lower limbs well and especially around the base of the tree. And then you do that once a month through September. So September is your last spray, and you need to use something like permethrin, or if you can find carbaryl, that's another one that you can use, or Captain Jack's Dead Bug Brew or something similar to it. But that product needs to be sprayed, I think, weekly. Mm. Next listener says they've heard about growing potatoes just by putting them on the ground and spreading hay over them. They want you to talk about that method. Well, it's not that that simple. What they're going for is a, is this a social media TikTok well, video it's, thing? Well, several years what ago we've this? talked about this to where people used did hay bale or straw bale gardening, and you're supposed to get a straw bale, and to do it the true earthy way, you're supposed to urinate on it for oh, several no. weeks. See, I knew it was some so that it rots a little bit and then it gives you some nitrogen More information than I and then you plant your stuff in there this partially rotten bell of straw and it's Ew. supposed to give you <laughs> a temporary almost like a raised bed and no I, i'm not doing that but that's the true Ew. method if you're doing that route now there is a way to garden to where you just plant the potatoes in your garden area, and then instead of what you're supposed to do in the garden is let the potato starts get a foot tall mm-hmm. and mound six inches of soil up onto the stem. Oh. And so you're creating a hill, let it grow another six inches and mound another six inches so that you have a foot of soil as this thing has grown up so that the potatoes are growing into loose soil. You can do that same thing with straw to where you plant them and then just put straw, six inches of straw down, and you may need to do a little more because it will settle. Let it grow another six inches, and then put some more straw down. And then a lot of the potatoes, because the straw is decomposing, will grow into the straw, and you can just reach in and harvest baby potatoes and then bring them in and cook oh. with them is the purpose. But it depends on... You have to have a lot of space Yes, for you do. And you, it's a hobby thing, but it does work, and you can just go out in July and August and fish around in the straw and pull out those little potatoes and bring them in and well, I like that use part. them as baby potatoes. But the other straw bell method is something better left to those that are much more intrepid than I. Okay. Uh, Don is in Roy. He has two apple trees in his backyard. One is a Honeycrisp. The other is a Granny Smith. Uh, what time of year should he prune these trees? There isn't a variety-specific pruning time. It's just okay. more apples and pears get pruned in mid-March and the reason, or excuse me, mid-February. The reason we do the, the oh. pruning in February, and so it's now. Okay, is that the uh, trees are more friendly to being pruned? During this time of year, they're more tolerant of the cold and if you do your pruning. But we're also trying to avoid spreading a disease called fire blight that if you prune later on, the fire blight infections are active and you can spread them accidentally. And so if you know your trees have had fire blight in them, it's recommended that you get some Clorox wipes or some rubbing alcohol in a spray bottle and spray after every cut. So he says that he had a really good crop last year, produced a lot of apples. 
Does that change the way you prune the tree? No. If he didn't thin, it could be that it causes the trees to go into a state called biennial bearing to where you get a really heavy crop every other year. And so one of the reasons we recommend thinning apples and peaches to one fruit for every six inches to foot of branch is that it prevents that biennial bearing to where one year you may get a heavier crop, but the next year you still get apples. Okay. My question wasn't as dumb as I thought it was. Okay. Uh, Let's see what we have here. Uh, Next listener would like to know, do ornamental grasses need to be cut down in the spring? And they have some, but they just don't know what type they have. It depends on what your goals are. Okay. You know, if we talk to JD about grasses, and he's kind of our extension grass expert, and these are the kinds you grow in your yard, not other kinds of grass. So mm-hmm. um, when JD, he likes to prune in the fall because he lives in the Cache Valley, and the heavy snow they usually get splits the grasses out, and they're much harder to clean up in the spring. But in areas of the Wasatch Front where we're not getting as much snow, you know, people like to look at the grasses because they add winter interest and a lot of people will prune them back or cut them back in mid-March. And that's fine. You do run the risk of them being split out by really heavy, wet snow. But if you're looking at it from an ease of maintenance, sometime in early to mid-November is when you would cut them down. Otherwise, it's fine to wait for mid-March. Okay. So wait till mid-March if you need to cut them down now. Correct. All right. Uh, I better take a break. Then we'll come back with more questions. Number to call with your questions. Phone lines are open. 801-575-8255. You can text us 57500. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse. Maria Anton with you. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. You can text us at 57500. Next listener, Ton, has a 30-year-old Satsuma plum tree that has an anthill at the bottom of it. Is that bad? And how would they be able to tell if the tree was dying? Oh, the ants aren't going to kill the tree. Yay. Uh, you know, if you see that the ants sometimes will farm aphids and so Mm -hmm. what they'll do is it's not that they're like carrying aphids to new trees but they will find an aphid population and then crawl through the tree and kill all the predators of the aphids 
because the ants like the honeydew that the aphids excrete because it's full of sugar. And then they will take that back to their nest and use it to eat and for energy. And so in essence, these aphids almost become cows to the ants. And so you need to watch for that because there are many species of ants that will do that. And so, but the ants in and of themselves, if they're not causing any harm, are not causing harm to the tree. And so there are lots of baits and things out there you can try. A lot of times just a pot of boiling water over the top of the nest will knock them out. But it's there's no relationship between ants and tree decline. It's more the biggest thing we see are like the aphid farming and the, if the tree is declining and the ants are there, it's more just coincidental. All right. Dave is on the line from Clinton. Good morning, Dave. What is your question? I uh, bought a house and it had some quack grass in the backyard and I've been trying to kill it out for a year and a half. <laughs> and I finally did so. Um, so now I need to take this big patch and turn it back into regular grass. What do I need to do it and when? Well, I... As soon as you can dig, you if you're sure it's dead, you can just dig the area out. And I probably, if it's not too big and you can afford it, would go with something like sod so that any seeds there are less likely to germinate because of the cover. If you do need but to do, go ahead. There isn't anything to dig out because it, I've really killed it off and it's been gone all last summer. And I had some equipment in the backyard, so I didn't want to try and do anything to replace it. So it's it's gone. Okay. So you're <laughs> still so going to need – and you want to put new grass in the area is what you're saying? Yeah. You're still going to need to work the soil. You can't just put it on you know ground that has compacted. If you've had equipment back there, you're really going to want to do some tilling. And so so you till it, level it, and then if you do seed, then you just – I like to go at a higher rate of six or eight pounds per thousand square feet of grass seed, whether it's Kentucky bluegrass or turf type tall fescue. And then you can use the cooler weather in the spring to get it going. But uh, are you more asking what to do with the soil or what? Yeah, I just want to know what preparation I need. Yeah, I would go ahead and till it to just especially if you you till it as deep as you can go. Okay. So I sometimes if you have a clay soil and you've had really heavy equipment in and out, uh, you may actually have to rip it and then till it so that you can get past the compaction layer. If it was just more like pickups and cars, then tilling should probably be sufficient except for where you had kind of your de facto driveway and that may need to be ripped a little bit deeper. All right. Great. Thank you. All right, Dave, thanks for your call this morning. Next listener, Tan, says, have you used or tested Agricel Pendy Hydrocap pre-emergent? Uh, that's, that's a lot a of fancy words. Uh, the active ingredient, I'm not sure what else is supposed to be unique about it, is pendimethalin. Pendimethalin is an older pre-emergent that is sometimes used on lawn scots, um, pre, uh, grass products if they have a crabgrass preventative, their active ingredient for years has been pendimethalin. It's also sun, sold under the trade names of Pre-M 
and there's a few others, but in and of itself, it's okay. You know, depending on the company you talk to, the competitors will say their pre-emergent products are better, but it's been around a long time. A lot of, uh, commercial companies will use it as their preventative. And so in and of itself, as long as you follow a label, it's, it's fine. Next person says, when is the best time to prune boxwoods? In spring into early summer. And so they're going to want to shoot their new growth out in May and you can trim that back lightly. But if they're new boxwoods, I would watch some videos on pruning and shearing hedges because we like to turn them into either flat sided, you know, really formal hedges or balls, like little globe shapes. And the way to actually prune hedges is actually a little bit more in a trapezoidal shape to where the base is wider than the top by six inches to a foot. And the reason you're doing this is that it maximizes sun exposure because we're shearing off food producing leaves. And so if you shear at an angle to where the top is a little bit narrower than the base, it maximizes sunlight and helps prevent some of those lower branches from dying out from a lack of sunlight. Oh, okay. I'm glad I'm doing that right, but I didn't. You wasn't are. doing it for that reason. Oh. Listen to me use the word trapezoid. <laughs> it, it, that took a lot of brain power to say Especially that. Saturday morning. Uh, what the next person wants to know with the name of the website uh, to look for the various varieties of raps, raspberries. Okay, Norse Farms. It's N O U R S E. Norse Farms. And you can just do an internet search and they will come up. I've ordered from them. They do a good job, but there's other companies that do a great job on theirs too. It's just that Norse, Norse Farms has a wide selection of them. Mm-hmm. And they are upfront on, you know, their cold hardiness and when they, and they put a lot of work into giving you kind of a schedule of when they will produce fruit. Right. And so I just like their site for even the education. Okay, when we come back following the top of the hour news, we're going to be talking about pruning apple and pear trees. It's just about time to do that. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do? in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.